This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Like the Kokako, the saddleback or Tieke belongs to the New Zealand wattlebird family. A family to which the Huia belonged and which has been established in this country since ancient times, much longer than most of our other birds. The saddleback takes its name from the bright reddish saddle on its back, which according to legend is the mark of Maui's hand. Sadly, this attractive bird has disappeared from the main islands and exists only on a few offshore islands, carefully chosen locations for resettlement away from predators, which appears to have saved the tieke from total extinction. Community or chaos? We can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quakers Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to Community Air Chaos. We have as our guests today Shirley Gabriel Ashing, Samuel Awando. They're both from Kenya and they've written a report for the National Center for Peace and Conflict Studies at Otago on peacekeeping in Africa and the Nobel Prize. And we have Garba Tagar, former resident of Targari State in Ethiopia. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz and then going to podcast and then going to Community or Chaos. Go, friends. Shirley and Samuel, Samuel, could you talk about your report on uh, the Nobel Prize? and its part in peacekeeping in Africa. Uh, thank you, Marvin. Um, first, I would want to make uh, some clarification right from the onset that the paper we uh, developed was uh, supported by U3A, Dunedin, uh, in collaboration with the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies. And so we made this in the seminar series that are hosted by the department fortnightly and later it was uh, published uh, by the African Review uh, Journal and so um, our paper focused on uh, three key things uh, the first aspect was uh, the agency the role that individuals play in peace building and uh, the second one is the influence in peace-building processes, uh, whether it is through indigenous or the external uh, determinants. And three, we looked at the role that Nobel Peace Prize itself uh, uh, has recognized, how it has recognized the, such kind of individual roles. And so um, uh, in our report or in our paper, we ably discussed that the Nobel Peace Prize that was awarded to Abiy, uh, uh, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, was in recognition of his work 
uh, and decisive action that he took to bring uh, to a stop a war that had been there for the last two decades. And in a view, this uh, consideration was uh, attributed to his agency as a local African Ethiopian working with minimum influence, external influence. So maybe Charlie could add something. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Marvin, for this opportunity. Uh, our paper uh, and the report that we did uh, about uh, the Nobel Peace Prize that was awarded to Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia in 2019, specifically, as some have stated, is looking at uh, his efforts towards bringing peace uh, and ending the war. Is this the war between Ekaterina and Ethiopia? The war between Eritrea and Ethiopia that lasted for, 20, uh, for two decades. And specifically what we looked at is the decisive actions that he took, the entire process, how it happened, because uh, Abiy Ahmed uh, came to power in 2018, and it is just it took a, a matter of uh, less than a year for this whole agenda uh, uh, peace agreement to be signed by the warring parties and it was through his decisive action indigenous efforts with minimum uh, external influence that this war came to an end the war between Ethiopia and Eritrea so the paper uh, that we did mostly looked at the these processes and the stages in which uh, they happened and uh, that is the reason Abe Ahmed was awarded the Peace Prize, Nobel Peace Prize of 2019. Has the um, Nobel Peace Prize helped the peace process on the, in the Horn of Africa? Uh, when you look at uh, the considerations that are taken uh, in awarding the Nobel Peace Prize, the purpose of the Peace Prize in itself is not supposed to to help any peace process in the world because they look at individual efforts. Uh, you look at the considerations that are given. It's about individuals who have helped maybe abolish standing armies and bring uh, peace uh, integrations in the world. So the role of the Peace Prize is not supposed to to help any peace process, whether it's in the Horn of Africa or in the, in the world in itself. It's supposed to recognize the roles that these, these individuals have played. So it is about the role of individuals. It is not supposed to help a certain process. Yeah, I think um, if I may add, as Shali put it very mm -hmm. clearly, uh, Nobel Peace Prize recognizes what has happened, achievements that have been made, innovations that have come uh, in, in place to uh, uh, create peace. That kind of recognition may create uh, environment for future peace building or uh, environment for other actors to act with some kind of dignity and uh, to, to follow the past in, in, in a way of bringing present peace. But the intention might not necessarily to uh, uh, influence what's going to happen next or to predict what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. When the when people, the nomination committee is choosing Nobel Peace Prize winners, do they consider it just another instrument of real politic? I look at some of the people who have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. Kissinger, Henry Kissinger, who was Secretary of State 
for the United States and was actually personally responsible for many thousands of deaths in Cambodia and in South Latin America. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agus San Koke, who became the um, political leader of Myanmar for a time and refused to ignore the ethnic cleansing or near genocide of the Muslim people in the northern part of um, Myanmar or Burma. And then you got Barack Obama, who got the Nobel Prize just basically for getting elected. <laughs> um, so what does this, what do we make of the Nobel? I mean, you got people like Martin Luther King, you got people like Ralph Bunch, who you admire so much, you you want to share their their life, their. But then you've got the people I've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think Marvin. I think uh, we have to acknowledge that um, peace building or peacekeeping or any actions to create peace are very dynamic. Just in the same way, conflicts themselves are equally complex. They keep evolving and they change in different circumstances. Now, the big question is, uh, does Nobel Peace Prize in their assessments pick the correct individuals to award based on what was done differently, any change that might have occurred during the process? Uh, so uh, when we look at what um, uh, Henry Kissinger was responsible uh, probably in Cambodia and uh, uh, we also take an example of Yasser Arafat of Palestinia uh, we see that Palestine is still even at war with uh, Israel up to now Okay, the, the, the Israel itself is still uh, having its own turmoil but they've seen several uh, politicians awarded so the question could be to what extent does Nobel Peace Prize identify the real source of change in a big mix of political turmoil? They might be part and parcel of the processes that have been uh, 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 in the war. They might have been actors, but the question, do they do anything different to save lives despite the uh, uh, circumvented issues? But. Uh, uh, the challenge I have is why should all these kind of characters be politicians? Does it mean or uh, do we really uh, have the capacity to uh, predict what politicians are capable of doing as much as the ones that take big role in decision making for peace building? And because as much as the ones who keep the interest that sometimes bring countries into war, politicians are the same uh, individuals are that uh, 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 become the agency for peace building. So the question is, who is that behind the politicians that also need to be recognized? So then we don't just overemphasize on the politicians because that might be the big problem. That might be the big mistake because uh, the politician may make the declaration, but who is be- behind these politicians? Perhaps, Shali, do you have something to share on this? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'd like to add that, uh, you see, Marvin, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize uh, in itself... Uh, looking at the individuals who are awarded, it's supposed to, what they do is 
award the individuals for their actions in the past year. For example, somebody like uh, Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, was awarded because of his actions in 2018, and that is why he got the Nobel Peace Prize the following year in 2019. About uh, looking at the long term, their long term actions, uh, what I'd say on this is that. Uh, looking at, uh, for example, the Ethiopia-Eritrea conflict that lasted for uh, two decades, this 20 years, there were so many actors uh, involved in this entire period, but nobody uh, came in to to bring peace in all this. But Abiy Ahmed, in a period of less than a year, uh, came up and brought Sayas of Fuake and himself and brought this conflict to at least an, an end, whether it's an end or uh, it's, it's, there's still uh, some teething problems in it, but at least there was some kind of, uh, the stalemate came to an end. So the Nobel Peace Prize, uh, on my side, I don't think it really looks at the long-term actions. It's, it's mostly based on the decisive actions of these uh, peace actors. Calling their character, uh, uh, talking about their characters, uh, I, I don't really think it uh, would be right uh, to say that uh, they really look at the, their character as people. They look at their character uh, in terms of solving this peace, uh, uh, these uh, this conflicts that are there, not necessarily their characters as people or uh, their persona. In, they don't call their persona into question. Perhaps even if they call the persona into question, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what I strongly believe is that peace, uh, creating peace or peace building is not an individual's initiative. Yeah. And so uh, it would be advisable that the assessment of a uh, 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 Nobel Peace Prize Committee goes beyond one individual. Then we can as well look at the systems that put that peace in place because they might be responsible for uh, the long-term uh, prospects of peace, uh, uh, but all that, as, as Shelley puts it correctly, uh, the role of Nobel may not be limited by the character of individuals, as much as that might be one of the indicators that they take into account. And so, uh, again, they look at the past; they cannot predict of what someone is likely to doing be doing in the future. Okay. Very so, briefly, what would be the main point or outcome of your report? Uh, the main point we are arguing in our report is that uh, initiatives that involve local actors, the subaltern voices, the indigenous knowledge, mm-hmm. should be given serious and big space. Like for our case now, uh, in Ethiopia, uh, what's happening? We would want to pass a question to the African Union. What are they doing? Having their own headquarters in Addis Ababa, and Ethiopia is burning. What is the African Union doing? What is IGAD doing? Are they waiting for the United States to come and tell them, you guys move? Are they waiting for the European Union to come and tell them, hey, you move? Or are they waiting for someone to finance them to, for, so that they move? What we are saying is initiatives mm-hmm. must come from the local voices, must come from the local structures, and mm-hmm. must come from the local institutions. So then we have some practicality, proactiveness, and sustainability. Perhaps, uh, Shelly, can I have a quick one before? Yep. Yeah, I think the, 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 the main uh, issue that our paper is trying to address is the issue of indigenous peace efforts in Africa. The peace that is brought about uh, through minimal external influence 
and uh, the example of the Ethiopia Eritrea conflict that was done with very minimal uh, external influence. But looking at the situation at the moment in Ethiopia and what is happening in the Tigray state, you know, it 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 really like uh, it it really calls for a lot of uh, thinking uh, for Africa. Mm-hmm. And and the African Union in itself, as some have said, this is where the headquarters of the African Union is. What is Africa doing? What are the African states saying about the conflict in Ethiopia? Is it always that uh, conflicts in Africa, do we always have to wait for what the, 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 the Western countries are saying about it? Then we move. The African Union in itself can act. We can come together as African countries and assist with what is going on right now. In Ethiopia. Okay. Um, now I'm going to ask um, Gabri Tiger, who's a former resident of Tigari State in Ethiopia, where there's conflict now going on on a massive scale. Could you tell me first, uh, could you talk about why you came to New Zealand and you're concerned first about why you came to New Zealand and then your concerns for what's happening in your home state? Thank you for having me, uh, Mori. Um, yes, uh, interesting. Uh, yes, um, it's a very interesting story. Um, thank you for the opportunity uh, to welcome me uh, here at Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Gabriel. Uh, my name myself is I'm Gabriel Selassie. I'm from Tigray. Myself, I was in the conflict in some state in the, in the 80s. So um, as I came as a refugee in the about uh, about 14, 15 years ago to New Zealand. Um, thank you for New Zealand people. Thank you for uh, everyone here at Terewa. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I wanted to talk about um, the conflict, but I can't say um, it's just uh, it will never go anywhere. It happened 30 years ago. We left home. We are still uh, living everywhere as as a Tigray people, and myself, I was in the past was a communist dictator, and it was a war like as there is what's happening now, and many people uh, we lost about a million Tigrayans on that time because it was communist leader, and and it was uh, forcing people to the army and. Is doing basically what's going on now. Uh, probably it's the only different now is is a few country involved. Um, there was short time uh, that now the unelected Abiy Ahmed of uh, Ethiopia and he called himself Prime Minister unelected. Actually, he was not elected. The reason is not elected. There was no election that has happened. He was the previous. Uh, the uh, Sinai Halimariam um, was uh, chosen um, for the the previous prime minister passed away, and then another came for a short time. Then and then the other guy he resigns, and he Abiy Ahmed steps in, and some was a politician guy, and he steps in, and he's uh, said he was the prime minister, and everyone said okay, and. Within within few months, that he changed, he become horror on the country. Persecution, all the politicians in prison. We got twenty 
17,000 uh, <coughs> in Addis Ababa and, and prisons. And uh, same is happening my majority people for the Oromo people and the Tigrayans most are suffering at the moment. We have no word to say. Uh, you, don't, you don't know how to describe, especially last eight months and the world and the African unions watching. I remember when genocide happened in, in 1994 in Rwanda, that I'm pretty sure the world said, oh, we could stop that easily. We could, uh, it was easily to stop. And now it's still happening in, in Tigray and African Union is nothing they could, could stop. This is African mirror. But it's no, uh, it's no action has been done. I feel, uh, as African, I feel, um, I, I don't know how to describe. I, I feel so shameful as African matter. But what can you do? This is Africa, and we need help from the world, uh, from a country have uh, understand this issue, had experienced this issue. They know. This is, is happening uh, indescribably, uh, discriminatory happening to the great people, uh, peace-loving people, that uh, is happening genocide and the use of the war is, is Eritrea, Ethiopia. We are about six million people and this war is involved with um, Somalia, Eritrea, Ethiopia involved in this war. Everybody they donate, they send their soldiers into Tigray and have and one million soldiers harassing, killing, genocide, uh, ten edges, and burning crops, burning houses, destroying in infrastructure, destroy uh, harbor electric uh, power, destroying basically everything. They steal everything, they rob everything, and they can't take everything, then they um, burn it. It's horror. I've never seen it myself in, in this part, in, anywhere in the world, I've never seen. It's completely they want to wipe out, that's what they're saying, they want to wipe out uh, Tugrian people in, in Ethiopia. This is what the, the Amhara militia, the uh, Ethiopian Federal Army, the Eritrean Army, are doing this. And the world is working in the 21st century. It's, it's horrifying. What's, what's the war about? Where are these, some of the issues involved? Anybody? Say that question, What What's the war about? What are the issues involved? What are the yeah. political and social good, issues? Yes, good question. I know... Uh, I know there's famine going on, and there's, you know, maybe 50,000 people or more killed already. No, it's about 300. But that's, that was a low estimate. Yeah. So, but so, not sure what are the goals? Why, why is Chagar being attacked? Good question. Is a question for... Yeah, uh, let me try to uh, give the first punch, and then my colleagues can, can add. 
basically what I'm going to say here is uh, based on what I follow through the media uh, in because I've been here throughout the time that the war is going on uh, and again uh, from some conversations by with the locals uh, the first key issue is uh, an element of identity and representation uh, there appears to be uh, some groups of Ethiopians, and I'm saying appears because I'm not confirming this, uh, who are not happy with the federation as it is, uh, claiming uh, uh, some kind of uh, deficiency of resources in the areas being stage managed by the government. So the north is one of such kind of areas that have been uh, is getting marginalized. Uh, and 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 their their claims are that since TPLF came out of power, the new party in power has been influenced basically to sideline TPLF and to uh, cut the people of the north, the two great people, from uh, the national resources. Whether that is true or not. Uh, is, can, is can only be confirmed by Gabriel, who is a local there and who has uh, uh, clear roots. Another issue that is there is a leadership crisis, which comes from the politics of betrayal. There appears to be uh, people who uh, coined coalitions and collaborations in politics, and the politicians have betrayed each other. And so whoever raises their voices is being shot. Now, the question of why the government that is meant to be protecting the Ethiopian people is raining terror on Trigrians is one big question that should be asked loudly. If there was a discomfort in the North, is the force being used reasonable or justified against its own citizens? Do they mean that they don't have any other alternative approach to resolve this kind of conflict until they have to go like smashing? As Gabriel puts it, it's a threat towards genocide. And my question is still, what are the neighbors and African Union doing about this? Are they waiting for 4 million people to die the way it happened in Rwanda? So then now is when they come up? So the humanitarian crisis is real. The issues behind it are given through half-truths because even the media is gagged. And so the real experience needs to be captured through the systems that can access this information and tell the world what's happening and what they're doing about it. And that's my beef with African Union. Mm -hmm. Yep, probably. <laughs> yeah, because I know Gabriel, uh, being a, an Ethiopian from Tigre, will have a lot to say on this. What I can add on this is that, for sure, the humanitarian crisis uh, in Ethiopia is a matter of uh, urgency uh, from where we sit at the moment. Uh, and it's a paradox, given that uh, Abe Ahmed uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019, but has been completely, uh, the situation in Ethiopia right now appears to be completely out of hand, whether he's uh, 
the one that is right in the middle of this crisis or or uh, whether is out of it is 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 is, is no, not a matter to be uh, looked at in a, in, a, in you know in in a it's not a matter to be ignored at the moment uh, because uh, just like Sam is saying, uh, what are we waiting for at this particular moment? The people of Tigray State are facing, uh, com- they're being uh, completely uh, exterminated as it were at the moment. But what are the neighboring states saying about it? The people of Africa, what are we saying about Ethiopia at the moment? Because the, the situation in Ethiopia right now there is no internet the, completely uh, nothing is being shown to the rest of the world as we speak why is that is there a situation in ethiopia right now where there is a genocide happening people are being wiped out but nobody's coming out to speak about it because the the whole world has been denied access to even knowing exactly what is going on in ethiopia but if the rest of africa rises up and speaks about the situation in ethiopia this country can be saved because we have a situation where a certain group of people are being targeted as some have said whether they've been marginalized or not is is not for us to say but it doesn't justify what is going on at integral state at the moment okay i'm going to play a bit of music and then we'll come right back Of time and rivers flowing, the seasons make a song. Then we who live beside her still try to sing along. The rivers and fish and men, and the seasons still are coming when she'll run. Clear again So many Homeless sailors So many Winds that blow I asked The half-blind scholars Which way the Current goes So cast your nets in the gods of the moving water will tell us all they know. The circles of the planet. The circles of the moon The circles of the atoms All play a marching tune And we who would join in Stand aside no longer Now let us all begin We can't stand I no longer Now let us all begin
That was Rivers of Time and Rivers Flowing, and it was Richie Havens on a Pete Seeger album. We're talking with Gaber Tagar, former resident of Targari State in Ethiopia, and Shirley Gabriel Ashing from the Peace and Conflict Studies, and a citizen of Kenya, and Samuel Owanda, also from the National Center for Peace and Conflict Studies, also from Kenya. We're talking about the conflict in Tigar State in Ethiopia and the humanitarian crisis. <coughs> is there problems actually? Are they? Is the government preventing information uh, leaving Tigar State and leaving Ethiopia? Or what's going on? Is there a, some kind of discouragement of the media? Mm. So. Um, it's a war. Um, uh, there's no media in uh, Tigray. There's no everything. The internet and everything is the primary site is uh, blocked. It is no uh, media, and the war has started uh, because uh, Ethiopia has nine states, and you govern your own um, uh, region or its anatomy. So. The Prime Minister, he wanted to govern the whole lot, nine of them. And But the Tigray state, they wanted, they had an election, and 2.5 or some million people came and elected for their own chosen uh, uh, governor, a leader, uh, self-governed. South, that's what it is, uh, it says in the law, uh, in Ethiopian law. That's what it says. So they... And when they did that, when the people elected uh, Debrecen, um is uh, elected Tigrayan leader, and they didn't, the Ethiopians they didn't recognize that. They they, they thought it was outlaw. What so happened to those leaders? They were elected. Those leaders, uh, there were some of them in their nineties. Uh, they have been. Um, they retire about maybe ten, six, seven years ago. They have retired from. Uh, politician, some of them they have uh, caught them and, uh, and killed them. They have been killed. Um, a few of them have killed, and a few of these leaders are still alive uh, and and uh, are fighting. They are fighting uh, and uh, in Tigray's uh, land, fighting back uh, to the Ethiopian and Eritreans, fighting back. What would you? I guess this is probably a question you can't answer, any of you, but what would happen if they weren't fighting back? What would happen to the people? Uh, I think uh, we have to uh, acknowledge that uh, as much as we have uh, 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 Tigray becoming overwhelmingly victim, there is uh, a silent or more of now, overt uh, uh, a cry for cessation from the federal system of Ethiopia. And perhaps, and I'm saying perhaps, this is the reason the government is not giving them space. Uh, how TPLF 
is fighting back against the government, it's only Ethiopians that can tell because that is information that may need to come from local local voices. I'm not sure if uh, even Gabriel himself is letting us uh, to have the practical feel of what's happening. Another question is why is Eritrea that was initially <coughs> a, a, a sworn enemy of Ethiopia now joining Abi in fighting Tigray? This is another thing. And then uh, uh, you asked a question whether uh, the government is blocking the media. The answer is yes. There is a lot of gagging of the media and this very little information coming out of Tigray and even out of Ethiopia as a whole. Um, you look at f- some piecemeal information showing a lot of people starving, Tigrayans uh, getting into refugee camps in the neighboring countries like in Sudan. And no one is telling the world exactly the extent of this kind of humanitarian crisis. There is famine, starvation, and whatever. And actually, I would not call it famine. I would call it starvation because it's artificial kind of a political arrangement uh, of fighting them by blocking resources to them and ensuring that they don't access food or they cannot produce their own food. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, this is a way of uh, forcing them to subdue, to, to, to surrender. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, uh, the government is blocking the world from knowing what's happening there. And we must uh, uh, just, uh, no, Shelley just said that they have blocked even the internet. And at some point, even telephone communication is a big problem. Mm. Uh, uh, we have a colleague here who is also doing PhD with us here. Uh, uh, and uh, at some point, um, the university gave me access to be making con- uh, communications be- be with him before he joined us. We couldn't communicate for like two months because he didn't have telephone access, he didn't have uh, internet, and so it shows that if such kind of basic services are denied to the public, what else can we save the the, the, the gravest things that might be happening to people's lives? Will they show the, the public what's happening there? That's a big question. Mm. Yes. The neighbors must know more than we do about what's going on. Why why, aren't, why isn't the African Union moving on this? <laughs> Shelley, <laughs> what is your opinion? Uh, you want to say something? No, I wasn't quite sure the African Union, uh, the head of the chair, the, le- the leader, mm-hmm. of, he never said anything much about it. He said um, he was basically ignore the war. He it was quite ashamed that every all the other countries, Europe, and, and and America recognizes all the catastrophe happening in Tigray, mm-hmm. but they hasn't done anything. It was, it was just squash. But he, recently, he recognized that uh, Ethiopia started the war. Ethiopia started war in, in Tigray. They went and trying to invite. Mm-hmm. If this mm-hmm. happens again, like in Rwanda and uh, Burundi. Won't this mean more destabilization in Africa? Won't it be more? I mean, things like this, they have after effects, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Like uh, the situation in Ethiopia right now could easily be a domino effect for the rest, uh, in the rest of Africa. Uh, because I think this is uh, like a situation like this, looking at it as a spe- maybe a case study. If this situation is not handled in the right way, it could happen in another country where uh, we'll have the, the 54 uh, countries of uh, Africa just sitting back 
and saying that you know let matters just uh, happen the way they will nobody's talking about it the AU I think the AU is just sitting back because uh, uh, and and blaming a lot of things, they could even say there is lack of resources as as usual because uh, we've never seen a situation where we have resources in the African Union and you wonder that uh, countries as rich as uh, Africa with all these resources that are there in Africa, their countries with gold, their countries with the diamonds, but you always wait uh, for uh, the West to come in and uh, call the shots. But this is our continent. The African Union cannot speak about the situation in, in Ethiopia because we always wait uh, for, for the West to speak about it and come in, even though we have uh, our own um, militaries. We have AMISOM mm -hmm. there. We have uh, the MNTJ. Uh, these are military uh, uh, these are military, uh, the mil militaries that can help in times like this, but nobody's going to call in and say, yes, let us move in. Yeah, I want to say, sorry, uh, Mavin, that uh, uh, AU is overplaying their diplomacy. The fact that Ethiopia is the seat of African Union needs to give the AU a great advantage to initiate dialogue, to initiate the peace processes to reach to almost everyone that is involved in this kind of turmoil. Um, I might disagree with Shirley briefly <laughs> on the issue of using the, the militaries like Amisom and the rest on this issue of Tigray because whom are we going to, to kill or whom are we going to fight here? The issue is putting the claims and the counterclaims that causes this kind of rift on the table and seeing who are the interested parties, who are the disadvantaged, who are the perpetrators, and how do we reason together with the individuals and hold to account those who are responsible uh, uh, by, through the, uh, um, the justice process. And I think AU is best placed in this position. What I agree with Charlie most is the fact that we have all the resources in African countries individually, in African Union, but they will always sit back, wait, and go to borrow from or, or beg for funding from elsewhere to come and resolve issues of Africa. It's like they're waiting for processes of war to start in Africa, so then they go begging for resources when they should be preparing themselves to tackle such kind of issues. And the issue of Ethiopia is... Uh, a green light to show us how Africa can move towards peace or chaos. Mm -hmm. If it's not well resolved, mm. we are going to have chaos replicated elsewhere. If we get it resolved perfectly right, it's going to uh, give us a very good uh, platform to use for many African countries. Mm -hmm. The truth is, African Union must act. That's correct. Uh. Oh, who? How do you? How do you influence the African Union? This is the first bit. Uh, talk, speaking uh, 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 to the world through your radio today is putting our voices out. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, we are going to continue writing much of this to ensure that African Union uh, knows that they are asleep or knows that their silence is being seen. Um, <laughs> um, we are we were writing another paper with Shirley where uh, we are arguing that uh, sometimes 
the terrorist groups in Africa are well coordinated, mm. much more than the AU is coordinating the African countries themselves mm-hmm. uh, in preventing terrorism. Now, if the AU wants to show us that they have some worth of existence and that they have the mandate of the member states, then this is the time that they should call a coordination meeting, appoint a peace-building panel, and give them the terms of reference and timelines for resolving the Tigray situation. Without which, then the scorecard might be very low. Mm-hmm. There, are, there isn't anybody right now trying to really stop, stop the massacre and stop the starvation, is there? People, there's really, I mean, you, you read about it occasionally if you happen to read The Guardian or something like that, but you don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And yet you know what's going on. Mm. And, well, what about these other, other the states that are members of the African Union? Are any of them trying to put pressure on the African Union to, to do something? We have not seen any. Uh, if there is, perhaps it's not uh, uh, within probably our reach. Uh, whether there is one single country that is uh, m- moving forward to push. Um, but um, uh, we, we, we also don't want to exclude the United Nations from all this. I think they need to uh, raise the African Union and tell them, hey guys, can you make the put your house in order? Because the United Nations is responsible for all of us, for the whole world, and so they cannot say sit down and say, okay, that is a, a mandate of African Union. But they need to just let them know that they are either doing well or not very well, and and, and see how to come up with this. Uh, but I think uh, the neighboring countries have a duty. I would uh, directly implore my president Uhuru Kenyatta, who is a good friend of Abiy Ahmed, to 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 perhaps be one of the first mediators in this case. Mm-hmm. Is there a feeling in the African Union and some of the states that they don't want to offend or shame Abiy? Okay. He might be more ashamed <laughs> with the war than mm-hmm. when they move to push him to create peace. And so uh, 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 if that could be the caution they're creating, then it's a mess they're creating. What yeah. do you think? <laughs> but, I mean, is, is that why they're not doing more? I, I think uh, why the African states are not really acting in this is because uh, the issues of uh, sovereignty and the issues of uh, territorial integrity, interference with uh, the affairs of other states is something that uh, the individual AU countries take very seriously. They really do not want, most of the times, to get into the affairs of other individual states. And it, 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 it's just a, it's com- a complete paradox of why they're even all within the AU. But when it comes to an issue where one country within the AU is affected, Everyone goes their separate ways and says, you know, I will not interfere with this country. I will not interfere with this country. Then it raises the question of why our, why is the AU, what is the purpose of the AU in the long run if states are going to be left to handle the individual problems themselves? Would you like to see a reform of the African Union? <laughs> 
Exactly, exactly. Mm. And I think this is the time. Yes. This is a big wake-up yeah. call for the AU if something is not going to yeah. come out of this. In, the, mm. the whole integrity of the AU has been put into question with this conflict that is going on in Ethiopia at the moment. That mm. this attack happening at the very uh, epicenter of of the the AU because uh, um, Addis Ababa is where the, the headquarters of the AU is. This is an attack, right? Right uh, on the integrity of the AU in itself. And if they are not going to act at this moment, I don't know which other conflict will arise uh, that will uh, prompt them how to move with speed. How do they come to decisions? We know, for instance, the UN often can't act as it should because of the uh, five countries that have a veto. Uh, how does the AU make decisions? And uh, what's preventing them from making decisions? The AU is so much politically controlled by the heads of state committee. But we have the AU commission that should be in charge of much of the decision-making processes. And the, uh, the commission uh, uh, is uh, at times or purportedly independent and should be giving policy directions uh, to the heads of states committee. Now, uh, the question of whether it should be reformed or not uh, is a big is a big worry to me. Who do we want to reform it? Do they have that kind of uh, conscience to see where they are failing? So then they say, let us fix this. And as Charlie says it, if they can't see this war as part of that kind of building their conscience on what they need to do right for the member states, then it beats the very logic of its existence. And so, and I put it a bit radically, that if they don't have capacity to put the nations together and in order and to advise and even to intervene, then what's the sense of its existence? Mm -hmm. So they have to prove to the world that it's necessary to be there and that they are taking action. And one of the ways is to be decisive in a situation like this that is happening in Ethiopia. We know sovereignty is there. Why do African states always know that they have sovereignty when they are in a mess? And they lose the sovereignty when they're going to beg for aid, when they're going to beg for grants from outside countries. Mm -hmm. The very countries would rush to China to look for infrastructure loan. They would, the very countries would rush to European or other European countries to ask for this and that. But now when it comes to a time that they want to kill each other, yes, they even go for loans to get arms, but they don't want to accept intervention from outside. Then they, they say, oh, now it's sovereignty. I think the best thing... If AU acts, that is not interference with sovereignty. It's a matter of calling the house to order. Mm -hmm. Well, we're a long way from Ethiopia. What should the New Zealand government do? Or what should other, other outside governments do? Should we take any part in this? Excellent. Say, for yes. instance, the UN? Or? Yes. Yep. yes. I would be happy if the government yeah. of New Zealand mm -hmm. writes or petitions both the UN and AU mm -hmm. for the sake Amen. of the welfare of the Tigray people. Many, many, many millions of lives 
almost half the population of the country is at risk of either starvation or death from the militia groups and from the soldiers I think uh, also I think a greater appeal has to go to the prime minister of Ethiopia considering that he he won a Nobel Peace Prize for his decisive action in solving a, a war that uh, happened uh, in a span of uh, 20 years it's shocking that uh, this ca- it can be right in the middle of a conflict such as this for him himself his whole person is called into question in this war if he used the negotiations and diplomacy to bring the Ethiopia Eritrea cross border conflict into into fruition it is now upon him to use the same strategy that he used to solve a two decade a conflict to solve this kind of conflict that you have right now in Ethiopia i think for him it's a bigger challenge for him himself having won the nobel peace prize and being at the center of this war to him should be a big wake up call for him himself before even the rest of the world uh, comes in to to solve this problem should the UN be putting pressure on him since he partly because he got a nobel prize should they be UN be putting pressure on him to to actually prevent further violence in Tagar and um, realize that there must be some way of a peaceful settlement even if nobody gets everything they want. Mm-hmm. Why not? I think uh, everyone else, right from the neighboring countries to the African Union to the United Nations, should up the pressure on Abiy Ahmed so then he can listen to the voices of those who are being silenced and to call uh, or set the table for negotiations the only pathway we have for peace in Ethiopia given the circumstances is dialogue and it has to be dialogue that is rooted on the voices of the Ethiopian people Gamba you're f- from Ethiopia and Tagar, would you like to? We've got about two minutes. What are your hopes? My my hopes are uh, from any uh, respective uh, point of view, uh, from the uh, the um, UAE, uh, the UAE, um, then the. African Union and the UN and to put Abiy uh, to, uh, to need, we need a section because have, is buying heavily weapons from uh, we uh, find that ships coming up from Ukraine buying uh, weapons aircrafts and uh, tanks and all uh, just to um, using uh, very uh, chemical very uh, high uh, risk of uh, destroying uh, uh, state. So I'm hoping um, that the world uh, to say no to this, including New Zealand uh, and and Europe and the rest of the world. 
and the African Union to say no, we don't need this in 21st century. We we have we have come up through. We have experience uh, Rwanda, Bosnia, Myanmar. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, all three of you for coming. We really appreciate you coming and talking about this, and I hope that. All our listeners will consider what they can do and how they might be able to influence the government to uh, petition the UN and African Union. Thank you. Thank you, Marvin. Thank you. Thank you, Marvin. <laughs> this podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the Air.